It is November 13th, Tuesday, 2018, and it is time for the latest edition of the Tuesday Morning Quarterback Edition of the Daily Standard Podcast. Sitting in for Charlie Sykes today, who is traveling, I am Chris Deaton, joined as always by our TMQ columnist, Greg Easterbrook. And Greg, I know sometimes we talk about getting the column ready for Tuesday, depending on what happens the night before in the Monday night football game. But I believe the Giants and the 49ers had a combined record going into last night of 3-14. and 14. Is that right? Yes, and I have to say I slept well last night because that game sure made me drowsy. Uh, yeah. That, that three, <laughs> combined record 3-14 and 14 is, was the worst Monday night football pairing since 1975. And uh, yes, a couple of big cities were represented. The big cities of Newark, New Jersey, and Santa Clara, <laughs> California, since New York and San Francisco had nothing to do with it. Exactly. Yeah. And it's it's weird, too, that the, the Niners were supposed to have this great season. You had Jimmy Garoppolo, who was this hyped quarterback. And the next thing you know, Garoppolo goes down, his backup goes down, and then the Niners are taking on Eli Manning on his last leg. So you wrote about this last week, not this week, but uh, kind of proving your point about how Monday night football has gone downhill with respect to the quality of the games. But some of the other games this week uh, were quite good and, of course, featured a lot of offense, which has been a recurring trend week by week this year. That's kind of the theme of uh, your column this week. And really, you go into talking about statistics regressing to the mean, essentially. Uh, NFL trends have been unbelievable on the offensive end of the football this year. You mentioned Adam Thielen. Uh, the out-of-nowhere Division II collegiate wide receiver for the Minnesota Vikings, who was on a pace at some point to set a new record for receiving yards. Uh, we've had Patrick Mahomes, who really is getting his first year um, under under the, uh, under the center for Kansas City. Uh, only played a game, I think, last year, but he's been electric. Drew Brees, one of these geezer quarterbacks that you've mentioned. All of these guys putting up borderline video game numbers but you think that uh, that's going to kind of come to a halt in the second half of the season. Explain to everybody why that is. Um, my column this week leads with the notion that it's around this time of year that the law of large numbers takes over football, especially the NFL since it plays more games than college does. With the rules constantly changing at the pro level to favor passing, and rightly or wrongly the league has made a decision – to favor passing and increase passing statistics. It's certainly possible that this year will result in a lot of broken records, broken records in the good sense of that. But if you look at past years, September through October, when the set of numbers is small, often there are many players on, on pace to break records. There are many teams on pace to have record-setting years. The law of large numbers holds that the larger the set of numbers becomes, the more most numbers tend toward averages. So as the season gets longer, as as we get to Thanksgiving, uh, the the numbers tend, the the pace of production tends to go down. And by the time the season is over, there's somebody that's got a record. There's some team that's got a record, but most of the players and teams that were threatening the record book have not actually assaulted it. And I think that'll happen again this year. There, there was one statistic, you mentioned several uh, at the top of the column this week, but there were a couple that I was trying to think about last night that could have just supplemented this argument that I wanted to bring up here. Right now, there are 14 quarterbacks with a passer rating of 100 or better. And for 
listeners out there, and this may be give or take, but if you go back, let's say, maybe to the turn of the century, and especially during the 1990s, when the rules of the game were much different and it wasn't as high-flying a passing game as it is today, a quarterback rating of 100 for an entire single season was fantastic, borderline MVP maybe. And right now you have 14 quarterbacks who have eclipsed that mark. There are five quarterbacks who have a completion percentage above 70%, which is preposterous. Drew Brees is almost completing 80% of his passes. It's incredible. Do you think all of this stuff is good for the game from a viewership standpoint? Well, first, Chris, I have to warn you that that's a great stat you figured out, and I'm going to steal it next week. Uh, <laughs> I'm all, always on for stealing very interesting stats. It, it's I did a TM. I did a column three or four years ago about the number of quarterbacks in the league who had better completion percentages than most of the quarterbacks in the Hall of Fame, including guys that I really admire, Joe Montana, for example. And I listed all the quarterbacks in the in the league who had a higher completion percentage than Joe Montana did, but oh, here's here's the punchline. They weren't starting quarterbacks. They were all backup quarterbacks. <laughs> there, there are dozens of guys in the NFL now who, who have a higher career completion percentage than Terry Bradshaw, Joe Montana, all these great lights of the past because of the way the rules have changed. And Drew Brees approaching an 80% completion percentage, which would have seemed impossible a generation ago, is partly the fact that he's a once he is a once a generation athlete, and in addition to being a very hard worker, he's also a he's he's also a gifted athlete, which I think gets uh, underappreciated. But it's not just Breeze himself being unusually good at what he does. The league wants to encourage pass completions, and p- people ask, you know, is this good or bad? Shouldn't there be purest approach of cloud of dust defense based football? Uh, I'll point out point out that still in the times that the number one defense has met the number one offense in the Super Bowl. Defense is seven and one. I still think defense is, even in this season, I think defense is the trump card. And by the end of the year, it will prove to be the trump card. But but on the other hand, sports rules are fundamentally arbitrary. the, the, The NFL does not have any larger political significance. It's an entertainment organization. I find it very entertaining, but if the people who run this entertainment organization want to make a conscious choice that a lot of scoring is more entertaining than defensive struggles, why shouldn't they make that choice? They should just be honest about it. That's all I all I would ask. Sure. Well, I'm, I, they, I think they've revealed their hand in that respect then, because obviously these trends are just so incredible. I, I want to go back to talking uh, in, in a minute about um, some of the defensive stuff and some of the other factors that may be contributing to these exploding numbers and what may turn the tide the second half of the season, even just beyond the random statistical noise uh, that is, is accounted for in small samples. But sticking on the subject of Drew Brees, you've written a lot about him this year, and with, with certainly with good reason. I believe he's thrown a total of one interception, which is absolutely hilarious how good that is. Granted, he gets to play half of his games inside of a dome in friendly conditions, and it's been the warm, warmer weather part of the season for him, but it's still just a, a preposterous run that he's been on. We talk in the sports culture a lot about Tom Brady is number one, and Aaron Rodgers is number two, and Peyton Manning is number three, and so on and so forth. But the same way that you talk about great athletes in other sports, that 
LeBron James still hasn't finished his career yet, so do we have the benefit of perspective to know whether or not the full data necessary to compare him to the greatness of Michael Jordan? You look at what Drew Brees is doing this year, and on the subject of small samples, Tom Brady and the Patriots got their butts whooped last week, and I think he completed less than 50% of his passes in a real ugly game on the road. When we look back at the end of all of this, do you think that it's going to be fair for Drew Brees to be mentioned in the same breath as some of these other guys we're talking about in terms of his contemporaries? Oh, I think he already is. I mean, he's won a Super Bowl. He's the NFL's all-time leading passer. Remember, this is a guy who went to Purdue. Purdue was a fine university, but he went to Purdue because coming out of high school, he didn't get any big deal, big Power Five program. Uh, scholarship offers to college. Just a guy who was let go by not one, but two NFL teams, San Diego and Miami, both told him, get out of here. Here's cab fare to the airport. We do not want you on our team. Uh, so I, I think he's already accepted as a as a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, and, and I can tell you that the, the thought experiment that I've done in Tuesday morning quarterback before was that if Tom Brady had, if everything else was the same, except that Tom Brady had spent his career at New Orleans and Drew Brees had spent his career at New England, Drew Brees would be the guy with five Super Bowl rings and Tom mm-hmm. Brady Tom Brady would be doing, um, what, 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 what kind of cold medicine does, he, does Drew Brees do ads for? So Tom oh. Brady would be the, doing the cold medicine ads. Yeah, the official spokesman for Theraflu or whatever it is. Yeah, I can't quite yeah, remember. Yeah, something. I, I can't remember yeah. which it is. We'll, yeah. we'll come Zer, up. Maybe Zyrtec or, yeah, one, one of those things. It's 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 the time of year we need to take all of them like at, at the same time for a cocktail of winter cold and allergy medicine. Um, so I'm sure we'll be reminded of that soon. NyQuil. NyQuil. He's the spokesman. Because right. if the advertising works, we remember the name, right? He's the spokesman for NyQuil. That's right. That's right. It's funny that you mention that because I think that Brady himself, and I've, I've seen this reported, um, I believe, only on ESPN, and I'm not sure it's been corroborated by uh, other accounts, but I, I'm just assuming that this is a source exclusive to the writer, and I can't remember which one for ESPN it was, but that Brady had quipped to a... Uh, a, a fellow NFL or, or an NFL coach for an opposing team at some point in the past that if you would have swapped places not between Tom Brady and Drew Brees, but Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, and you gave Aaron Rodgers all of the defensive knowledge that the Patriots just have at an institutional level and their capacity for game planning, Aaron Rodgers would be throwing for 7,000 yards a year. Um, so it seems like in that respect, Brady has always you know been... I would say relatively humble about about his talent level. His work ethic is obviously unimpeachable, and Tom Brady, of course, is an immensely talented quarterback himself. But it really is amazing how all of these guys who are, you know, 34 and 35 now, Roethlisberger may be a tier below for the Steelers, but some guys who have just put up some incredible numbers and incredible statistics throughout their career. So switching to the other side of the football now, getting back to this. I was thinking this morning about how the leading teams in both of these conferences we think of as these offensive juggernauts right now, and we don't think much about their defense. Kansas City is definitely the one team that has that in the AFC. And then in the AFC, we already had the showdown recently between the Rams and the Saints. It was a fantastic game. Maybe we'll go down as one of the games of the year um, in the regular season. But the Rams loaded up on defense with all of these big acquisitions in the offseason. Speaking of Kansas City, Marcus Peters, the quarter, uh, cornerback, went over there. Ndamukong Sue is now part of their defensive line. 
And the Rams' defense has actually regressed a little bit. And nobody really associates defense with the Saints all that much. I think it's overall for the season been middling, but it may be on the uptick some. You have offense, offense, offense anywhere, everywhere. Are any one of these teams that we are thinking about being at the forefront uh, of, of the playoff hunt right now stand out to you, Greg, as a club that may be able to leverage some defensive talent that they have to get a leg up on the competition over everybody else? Well, so far this year, my theory that defense is the trump card is not doing very well at all because the three best defensive teams right now are the Ravens, the Bills, and the Jaguars. Interesting. They're all, they're all playing fabulous on defense, and they all have losing records. Uh, but if you look at the teams that have that are hot on offense and also have a good defense, uh, I think the Rams are very interesting. Their their defenses needs a lot of work, but their front line they're able to put pressure on the passer with only by rushing four men, and that that traditionally does well once you get to the postseason and you're playing against teams that that actually want to be blitzed you, you've you've been extolling Aaron Rodgers and with good reason not just because everybody at the weekly standard has to extol the Packers but Aaron <laughs> Rodgers is the great 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 example of a of a quarterback who really wants to be blitzed and when, when you get into the postseason you face a lot of those quarterbacks so the Rams ability to generate pressure without blitzing should serve them well in the postseason. I, I think, right? You, you know, right now everybody's saying that the Patriots are kind of waffling. I would not sell the Patriots short. They'll be fine by the time the playoffs start. Interesting, interesting. Well, I, I don't want to belabor sports too much because it will it would not be a, a Greg Easterbrook podcast or column if we didn't talk about at least one science item or one politics item. And I believe this week. We're going to talk about science. One of the big bits that you have in this week's TMQ uh, is headlined, The Golden Age of Telescopes Approaches. And I know that space has been uh, historically a very big interest of yours, one of one of mine as well. And I I know that we as a culture sometimes talk about, you know, and we, we almost lament these halcyon days of when Americans rallied around the space program and we had some sense of national purpose when we were involved in the moon race. And that's been kind of put on pause in recent years. But you talk about something here that's of great interest to me because we're not talking so much about um, what friends of the publication in the New Atlantis uh, were talking about this week with Mars missions and with moon missions. But you're sitting here talking about telescopes, a lot of telescope projects underway uh, giving us a new view of outer space. How about you go uh, ahead and elaborate on that a little bit for the listeners, and we'll talk about it a bit. Yeah, manned space missions are very exciting, but they, we've really already done what, what you can do with people in space with current propulsion technology. And at some point in the future, I don't know when it will be, there will be a breakthrough, but for now there's really nothing that you want to do in space that requires people. But if you look at space science, especially telescopes, the golden age of telescopes is about to begin. And in a minute I will cite four that are that will soon go into operation. Uh, I think that in the next 25 to 50 years, humanity is going to learn more about the universe we live in than we have learned in the entire phase of human history to this point. Many of the things that we believe now that you and I, Chris, believe now are going to turn out to be ridiculously wrong. Uh, and, and, and a huge amount of, of understanding is going to be added to 
to our knowledge of the cosmos, I, I think ultimately people look back on us today and they will say, well, those those poor, benighted, ignorant people in 2018, <laughs> they, they knew 1% of what was possible to know about the universe. And, and I'll tell you why this is changing. There is triggering my my writing about this is there was a legal decision a week or so ago that means that a thing called 30-meter telescope is going to go ahead in Hawaii, a uh, 30 meter telescope. If you look at the, if you look at the volume of the mirror in 30 meter telescope, it's like 10,000 times bigger than the mirror <laughs> at the Mount Wilson observatory. It will be the, the, the largest single mirror ever constructed in 30, 30. If you'd sit down and draw out something with a diameter of 30 meters, it's gigantic. Uh, this telescope is going to tell us more about the heavens and all other previous telescopes combined, but it's not the only one. The European Space Agency is working on a telescope with the wonderful name Extremely Large Telescope. <laughs> and guess what it is? It's extremely large. It uses a series of mirrors to get up to an effective size of 39 meters collecting light from space. Extremely Large Telescope. And, and you do really have to love that name. We'll be able to see 100 million times the light that can be taken in by a human eye. It will, and it's located in southern Chile, far away from smog and city lights. And, 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 and there's the, the amount of interference generated naturally by Earth's atmosphere is less at the poles than it is at the equator. So that uh, extremely large telescope is going to do really well. It's going to see the night sky the way our distant ancestors did, but with 30 million times the resolution, <laughs> and it's going to make going to make a digital copy of everything that it does. And that's not all. There's two more coming. The Webb Space Telescope, which will replace the Hubble Space Telescope. That's the best known thing that's 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 been shot into outer space. Webb will be orders of magnitude more powerful than Hubble. And Webb is is a classic government project. It's way behind schedule. It's way over budget. And when it's finally done, boy, are we going to like it. Because the Webb will really be able to see the light that existed at the beginning of time. Uh, unless we're totally wrong about how time began, which maybe is what the Webb the, the web telescope will tell us. But if we're right about how time began, the light, the, the web will actually be able to see it. And it may be able to directly observe planets beyond our star system, which it so far has not been done. And finally, there's a European space agency project called Euclid that will also go far into space beyond the orbit of the moon uh, that will have a, a very broad range ability to sense not just light, but other kinds of electromagnetism. All these things are just going to completely flood our mental inbox with new information about the cosmos in the next 20, 25 years. It's really exciting. And it would be great to riff on that excitement for a few minutes more here. First, let's sneak in a quick word from our sponsors for today's version of the Tuesday Morning Quarterback Podcast. The Daily Standard Podcast is brought to you today by RX Bar. RX Bar set out to create a new kind of protein bar with a few simple, clean ingredients and where every ingredient serves a purpose. They're among my favorites. RX Bar believes in the power of transparency and lets the core ingredients do all of the talking. All of them are listed right on the front of the package. You'll likely recognize RX Bar at the shelf. They're the ones who have egg whites for protein, dates to bind, nuts for texture, and other delicious ingredients like unsweetened chocolate, real fruit, and spices like sea salt or cinnamon. 
RX bars come in 14 delicious flavor varieties. Mango, pineapple, chocolate, hazelnut, peanut butter, chocolate, coffee, peanut butter, chocolate, and coffee chocolate, and seasonal flavors too. I could list them all, but who, yeah, you can go check. RX bars are gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, no artificial colors, no artificial flavors, preservatives, or fillers, and they are great for so many things. Breakfast on the go, snack at the office to push you through your 3 o'clock slump, throw your bag, um, throw one in your bag for a plane. I always, I never actually get on a plane without having an RX bar. You can toss it in your backpack for a bike ride or a hike, pre-workout snack, post-workout snack. Look, um, I have been using these RX bars you know, on, on tra- I travel a lot, and I bring them along all the time because, you know, you can never actually count on the airlines to feed you or whether or not there's going to be a delay. And I will tell you that when I reach in the bag and I find that I have an RX bar, it kind of makes my day. So for 25% off your first order and free shipping, visit rxbar.com slash standard and enter promo code standard at checkout. That's rxbar.com slash standard. Enter promo code standard at checkout for 25% off your first order. All right, we're back. So, Greg, you were just talking about some of the implications for both science and culture uh, about these new very large telescopes, extremely large telescopes, to quote the Zoolander terminology, I believe, really, really ridiculously good-looking telescopes. Maybe that one's in the offing uh, at some point down the road. Let's talk about the social impact of this first, because we kind of let off this segment talking about the shared sense of national purpose. I got to thinking recently, I was fortunate enough to go into southwestern Kentucky, where a, a great childhood friend of mine has uh, a family farm, and it's been handed down through the generations, and it happened to be right in the center of the band of totality for the recent solar eclipse. And we've all been, you know, space dorks since we were kids. Um, one of his uncles, if I remember correctly, the family relation brought in um, one of his telescopes, obviously much smaller than uh, the very large telescope version, but gave us some really cool sights of what was happening in the sky around then. And then totality hit and we had those two minutes of complete darkness, almost an eerie feeling. The temperature goes down. You're able to see stars essentially in the night sky right outside of what would be the sun's corona. And it's just like, oh, my gosh, how in the world is this happening? It's incredible. And I think about how we're going to get another opportunity as a culture here in the States to do that, I believe, in 2025. That may be the uh, it may be a, a year or two before that, but it's it's within this next decade with all of these telescopes, Greg, and you and you pair that with um, the, the the hype around the recent solar eclipse and the doubtless hype that will be generated around the next one. Uh, do you foresee some sort of possibility here that, you know, we could really turn space and looking to the night sky and, you know, traveling to the national parks as some kind of, you know, new national hobby that maybe uh, lowers all of our blood pressure a little bit? Well, I, I can I certainly I say in this week's column, we all spend way too much time staring at screens and we should spend more time staring up at the stars. Um Many, many people will say, well, gee, it would be great to know what happened 14 billion years ago, but how does that affect my life? Abstract knowledge of the universe is, is a great goal. I got to admit, even as a, as a big fan of this kind of science, it doesn't really have a huge amount of impact on your life. But think about the things that could have an Im- impact on your life. If the Webb Space Telescope 
assuming that NASA completes it within the historical period of humanity, uh, if they complete it, and if it's as good as they say, and I think it probably will be, it will enable us to determine if there is life on distant planets. Mm-hmm. If, we, if we look in the Webb Space Telescope at planets that are, we should be able to actually see the surface of planets 50 oh, to wow. 50 to 100 light years away, and that that may sound close to you. It's a, it's, a, it's an unfathomable distance. <laughs> but if we can look at a planet in another star system and see, oh my God, there's artificial light at night on the dark side of that planet, we'll know that we're not alone in the universe. And, and this will lead to a lot of bad science fiction movies. But I think... <laughs> I think the knowledge that we're not alone in the universe would be very beneficial to humanity. I think it would have a positive long-term cultural effect. Now, suppose, on the other hand, that the Webb telescope spends, it has a projected 20-year life, but it spends 20 years cataloging thousands of planets close to us and doesn't see any evidence at all of intelligent life. I think if we're alone, maybe we're alone in the universe. To to know that we're alone in the universe and the human experiment is the only one that's going on, that would be, I think that would be a very beneficial and, and, and important bit of cultural knowledge too. I mean, we're speculating. We have no idea what the web is going to discover. But mm-hmm. if, it disco- if it discovers either of those two things, I, I would foresee that having a lot of impact and, and positive in both cases on our culture. If, if, if its results are merely inconclusive, then we'll... And it will just continue to muddle on. It, it, it kind of terrifies me that we may have to alter the crawl of the Star Wars movies if we are able to actually get a notion that there is other life out there, that it's no longer in a galaxy far, far away, but merely in a star system far, far away that would be much less ambitious. And it may it may make me a little sad. But it's going to be interesting to look at either way. I mean, this this stuff is uh, this stuff is gawking. It's 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 really quite incredible. And always enjoy talking about it with you, Greg. Um, always get your mix of a lot of football and a little bit of the other stuff in our culture on the Tuesday morning quarterback podcast, as well as the Tuesday morning quarterback column. Check it out on the website right now at theweeklystandard.com. This week's edition is NFL Offense is Booming and Unsustainable. Greg, thanks much for talking today and enjoy the rest of your week. Great. Thank you, Chris.